God Conversations with Tanya Harris. So let me ask you that question. What does God sound like? <laughs> well, you know, thunder, lightning. <laughs> Mother Teresa, someone asked her, when did God speak to you? And she said, whenever he wants. So essentially, the, the Bible is a, a collection of God conversations, if you like. I had a vision of a car accident, and I'm sitting on the couch thinking, why have I just seen this? How could I know if God was speaking to me? How could I know that that dream or that thought was actually just me thinking about, oh, I just had some bad pizza? Jesus said we'd recognize his voice and follow him. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation. Godconversations.com Hi, and welcome to episode 13 of the God Conversations podcast. My name is Tanya Harris, and I'm a pastor, speaker, and the founder of God Conversations. Today's topic is this. How does it feel to be a woman in ministry? And I know it's kind of an odd topic for a God Conversations podcast, right? But I've been asked this question quite a bit lately as I've traveled around. And so I thought I'd take some time to answer it on a podcast. It's an important question because I believe much of what I've experienced is relatable to so many of us who are trying to understand how men and women relate in the world today. So I was first asked this question when I was pastoring a church in Melbourne about 15 years ago. Someone asked me, so how does it feel to pastor a church as a woman? At the time I thought about it and my answer was, I don't know, I've never pastored a church as a man. But since then I've been asked a similar question over and over. How does it feel to be a woman in ministry? As you probably know, women in the, in the ministry world are still fairly rare. And as an itinerant minister today, in the kind of ministry that I'm doing, I'm kind of an anomaly. It's a bit unusual. So as I said, it's a difficult question to answer as I have no experience being in ministry as a man. But I think maybe part of the question is, how does everyone else feel about me being a woman in ministry? So I'm going to split this question into two. The first part, I wanna talk a little bit about how it feels as me in this ministry journey and some of the things I've had to deal with along the way. I believe what I share is gonna help you whether you're a woman or whether you're a man whether you are in full-time vocational ministry or whether you're in the workplace or at home. I believe some of these issues we need to talk about to help us navigate our way through our world today. The second part of the question looks at how other people have responded to me as a woman in ministry. We're going to share that next time on the podcast. Well, I hope you're doing well today. It's a cold, rainy day in Sydney and winter has finally arrived. I feel like we've had like a nine month long summer. And for some of you in the Northern Hemisphere, I know that sounds like I'm rubbing your noses in it. But for me, I'm quite happy to have winter at last because I love being inside when I'm trying to write and I'm halfway through my next God Conversations book. So rain and cold, brings out the creativity in me for some reason. But I'm very excited about my new book. I wanted to tell you a little bit about it. You know, I wanted to write something that wasn't already out there in the market. There's so many good books out there already that will be kind of how to hear God's voice books. And I encourage you to get a hold of them. But what I wanted to do was do it a little bit differently. 
I wanted to share some personal stories, some God conversations that will help you to connect with your story, to see, okay, this is how God speaks and this is how you can know that it's his voice that's speaking. So if you have a moment to send up a prayer for me, that would be awesome. Pray that lots of creativity and good writing times come and, you know, a little bit of rain and perhaps a little bit of snow on the mountains because Australia doesn't always have the best snow. And if you're a skier, that's, um, <laughs> that's a bad thing. But in the meantime, um, I hope you've had a chance to read the new ebook. The easy way to hear God's voice. You know, we've had hundreds of downloads already, which is awesome. Starting to get some testimonies back. I was connecting with a lady in Queensland recently and after reading the book, she had a vision and it was to do with the healing of her son who had this mysterious illness and the vision told her to pray for him and he was almost instantly healed, which is awesome. You know, there's nothing quite like hearing from God and seeing his hand in our lives. I've also connected with a a man from Nepal. He's a missionary to Nepal and he was telling me how so many of the the tribes people, they're disconnected from the cities, they're illiterate, they don't have the kind of resources that we have, but they're hearing from God in dreams and visions. So I've asked him to to send me a bit of a collection of of their stories because I think that the God conversations of others can help us with our own God conversations. And it's wonderful to see God working and speaking to his people. So how does it feel to be a woman in ministry? First of all, let me give you a context for this, especially if you're listening from outside of Australia, because I think you'll find this is different wherever you go. In Australia, the church world has a lot of variations on this question about where women fit in and what roles they play. In the denomination I'm ordained in, the Australian Christian Churches, which is formerly the Assemblies of God in Australia, we've always had a very egalitarian policy from the very beginning, about 100 years ago. In fact, the early pioneers, many of them were women. They planted churches, they were involved in leadership, they discipled people, they built strong congregations, which is fantastic. So we've always had that in our heritage and we're very open to men and women working together on that kingdom building process. These days, there's not as many women, perhaps in senior positions in our denomination. Uh, women are more likely perhaps to be the assistant ministers or the children's ministry workers. But as I said, there is free reign for what women can do from a policy level, which is awesome. In other denominations, again, you're going to find variation. I think of the Catholics, for still will not allow women in ministry in, in Australia. In Anglicanism, it depends on what kind of state you're from. Baptist Uniting Churches, you're going to get great variations. So you'll get women in ministry perhaps, but they may have some limits on where they can lead. So a woman, again, could be an assistant pastor, but she wouldn't be able to be the senior pastor or she may not be able to be the elder of a church. So there's a lot of variation that you find. In my area of ministry, which is uh, itinerant, which is specialist, a ministry that's very much to the local church global, you're going to get even fewer women who are doing similar things to what I'm doing. In our Australian context, um, there are a few women who are doing that. I think of some of my 
wonderful friends and people I respect like Vicky Simpson and Roma Waterman and Tina Waldrum, some good, a good friend of mine as well. And then, of course, you'll get Christine Kane, who's ministering globally. And we also have some people overseas in the US, particularly some prominent female ministers who travel and have a real ministry, a teaching ministry, particularly to the church global. The truth is that we are in a massive transition in regards to gender roles, both in the church and in society. And the reason is that if you think about it, you think about it, putting that perspective in history, it's only been in the last 50 years or so that women were allowed to go to university because it was thought that they couldn't learn as effectively as men. And it's only been in the last few decades that it was even taught that women were of equal value to men. So we're going through a radical shift right now. When you start to look at history and when you start to look at some of the the teachings of prominent church leaders, you'll see how far we've come. I I came across recently a quote by Augustine, which I thought was, was fairly comical, but it gives you a bit of an idea of where we've come from. Now, Augustine was an early church father, fourth century, very prominent leader in terms of Western theology. And when he was working on the Trinity, he tried to work out this conundrum. He wanted to figure out if it was possible for women to be made in the image of God. And he finally solved the puzzle by writing that when a woman is alone, she's not in the image of God. It's only when she's joined to a man, when she's one flesh with him, that she could be considered being in the image of God. (laughs) Wow. It's amazing. That's in our history. So we've come a long way. You know, most people you talk to believe that both men and women are equal and both are made in the image of God. So that gives you a little bit of context. I want to share now a couple of things from my own journey as a woman in ministry. To be honest, these days, being a woman in ministry doesn't really affect me at all. Perhaps a a few relatively insignificant issues like... um, checking that my stiletto is not stuck, sticking into the grate on the church platform and um, watching my hemlines, particularly on those tall platforms. But other than those kind of things, it doesn't really affect me. But it wasn't always that way. In fact, it was a very long, hard and very personal journey that began when I believe God first tricked me. Let me explain. I was in, in my early 20s, I was in a great church called Waverley Christian Fellowship. I'd been there for a, a number of years. And at that time, God spoke to me and he said, for your destiny to be fulfilled, I want you to move churches. Did not like that at all. The reason I didn't like it was I was very established in my church. We had a great leadership, had good friends. I was involved in different volunteer ministry and did not want to move. The new church was a lot smaller. It had been going for a few years. I knew a couple of people there, so I knew the pastor vaguely, a really great man. So I thought, okay, well, if God wants me to go there, at least I know there's a good pastor and for some reason he wants me to be there. So I consulted with my friends, I prayed about it, spoke to my senior pastor, was released and everyone agreed that this was the right next step for me. Well, as I was making that transition and moving to that other church, right in the thick of that process, the pastor there resigned and to my great horror, 
they employed a woman, the first woman to be invited to be a senior pastor in the Victorian AOG churches. Well, I could not believe it. This was an absolute disaster. <laughs> you may laugh. But everything I had ever been taught in my entire world was that women should never, ever be senior pastors. In fact, they shouldn't even be pastors. I'd been taught that women shouldn't play that role. They shouldn't be in ministry and they shouldn't be in leadership. But the problem was God had led me there. So I had this massive conflict between what was going on in my head and what was going on in my experience. And it took a while to work that out. There were two things, two issues that I faced in that time. I want to share them both with you. The first one was theological. The first one was a matter of my head. The second one was more emotional. It was a matter of my heart. Let me first of all share the theological one with you. Being in a church that was led by a woman was not a light-hearted thing. I was raised in an open brethren church, and if you don't know what that is, it's kind of like a conservative Baptist church. In our church, we were known for our amazing Bible teaching. Our sermons were nearly an hour long, 50 minutes, and they were exegetical sermons. They were chunky sermons that have layers and layers of commentary, and, and the preacher would have always spent hours preparing them. Bible studies in our church were not just mere home fellowships. They were intense Bible studies. We were biblically literate. In fact, I grew up competing for stickers and stars after memorising truckloads of scripture, all in the King James Version of the Bible, I might add. In fact, I knew the entire book of Philippians and was memorising 1 Peter, when I was 20 years old, I came across a, a book the other day. It was given to me when I was 17 years old as a kind of a congratulations for your HSC uh, year. And I was going on my gap year. And the book was a commentary on the book of Philippians. Can you believe that? For a 17-year-old. Well, that was me. So if God was leading me to a church where there was a woman pastor, there was, as a pastor, there was no way I wanted to do this unless the Bible told me that I could. But a simple plain reading of some of those passages in the New Testament said to me that a woman wasn't allowed to teach a man. She, she couldn't lead. She wasn't allowed to. Every, everything else was absolute heresy. In the Brethren Church that I grew up in, we really enforced this. We wore hats. We, we were silent, literally. We, we were allowed to sing but there was nothing else we could say. We couldn't lead in any format except if it was children and women. Unless, of course, if we were a missionary. And I think some of those missionaries got away with it a bit more than we thought. But as women, we weren't even allowed to carry around the offering bags. So the issue for me, the theological issue for me at the time was, what does the Bible teach? And all I could see was that the case was closed. I had to go on that theological journey. The second issue I had to face was an emotional one. It was a matter of the heart. And in many ways, I didn't see it or realise it at the time, but this was the, the bigger one. This was 
the one that really struck at the core of my identity. I remember very clearly having a meeting with my senior pastor at the time. She began to mentor me into this role of leadership and ministry. I knew that God was calling me. I knew that he'd spoken, even though I still hadn't worked out what that meant or what that looked like. And I remember we were having our normal sort of monthly meeting and she was asking me, how do I feel about how I was going? And in very simple words, words that, that came across like a sledgehammer at the time, she said to me that she didn't think I was doing my best, that I could do a whole lot better. Well, it, it wasn't a pretty moment. In fact, I remember walking away from the church offices, offices just devastated and crying my eyes out. I guess I'd had a really bad performance review. I remember going to my friend's place and thinking, can you believe she said that? What kind of pastor says things like that? What kind of pastor gives you, you know, these discouraging words? They're supposed to be building you up. How, how could she do that? And of course, my friend and I talked about, you know, her poor leadership. <laughs> the interesting thing is over the next few weeks, as I began to think about what she said and as I began to pray about it, I realised this truth, that my pastor was right. She was right. She had locked into something I hadn't seen. And that was that in the core of my being, I didn't feel like I should be doing this. That as a woman, I I didn't think I could do it. That I wasn't capable, that I wasn't able, that I wasn't gifted. In the back of my mind, I really thought that a man could do a better job. I really thought that I was a plan B, I was an accident, I was a mistake and it would have been a whole lot better if I wasn't born a woman. And prayed all these amazing, enormous prayers. God, use me. I want to do what you're calling me to do. I want to follow you. But in my heart, there was a disconnect between my prayers and what I believed about myself. The truth is that because I was raised in an environment that didn't believe that women could be in these positions, that began to form who I was as a person. It deeply affected who I was. See, a person who's raised to adopt a prescribed role soon learns the traits and the dispositions of that role. So in my world, women weren't strong. We were quiet. We were passive. We didn't take initiative. We didn't have a vision for our lives because we were women. We were waiting for a man to come along so that we could support his vision. This is what I was taught both consciously and subconsciously. I remember reading a book in my teenage years, I think it was to do with dating, and it said something to the effect of, women, you should be gentle and you shouldn't be too strong because if you do, you won't get a good man. <laughs> that may be true. But you know what, it was rarely avert in my life. It was just the way I was. I was surrounded with lots of beautiful, kind, godly women, but they all took a certain role in life. And so I just was following in their footsteps. So until I met my senior pastor, Melinda Dwight, until I met her, I'd never, ever seen a strong leader who was a woman before. I remember watching her and trying to work her out. Like, how could you be feminine and still be strong? I'd never met anyone who was like her, someone who was a visionary. She, she was a decision maker. She was strategic. She was strong. All the women I know were soft and gentle and quiet. 
I remember spending those few years at my church trying to work it out. And it's not that Melinda wasn't loving and it's not that she wasn't gentle, but she just showed me how to love in other ways as well. So that was the biggest challenge for me, even more than the theological one. I had to completely reform my identity. And I think that's true for women all over the planet and by corollary for men as well, because it's not just the roles that we play, it's who we are, it's our identity. And God's calling us to rise up and that involves transformation from the inside out. So the breakthroughs for me came in two different ways. The first one was possibly the most important and it happened at the altar. On a Sunday night after church, we'd often have ministry times. And I remember this particular time I was down the front, worship music was playing and we were just having a time of waiting on God. It was just an amazing opportunity that we got to do that. And I remember kneeling there and God speaking to me. And the way he spoke to me was he talked about the example of Esther you know, from the Bible, Queen Esther. And he used her life to show me what it was to be a godly woman. You know, she was a woman who could still wear beautiful dresses, but she was strong enough to stand against an empire. She was strong enough to stand against a dictator's protocol. And she was strong enough to lead a nation to victory. God was saying, you can be strong and you can be feminine. You can be a leader. You can stand up, fight for others. You can have a vision for your life with a husband or without a husband. You could be outspoken for God's purposes on the planet. You could have a vision for your life. In fact, it's a very different plan. It's a very different vision for the person I had been all my life. My identity was was really tested when I was called to plant a church because I'd never seen that done before. I'd never seen a single female plant a church before. All the role models I'd seen were completely different. And God was saying, I want you to know who you are. I want you to exercise your gifts. I want you to discover the giftings I have placed on your life. And that particular experience was a life changer. See, I think God is doing something different on the planet. I think he is calling women to rise up in their vision and in their calling and their giftings alongside of men, together, partnering together. The word he gave me was a penny-farthing bicycle. And if you're not sure what a penny-farthing bicycle looks like, it's one of those very old-fashioned ones with a very small wheel at the back and an enormous wheel at the front. He said, that's the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way was that the women were always in a support role. And that doesn't mean we're not supporting. We're still supporting. But it also means that, do you know what? A better bike is when you've got two wheels that are the same size, where they're joined and supporting each other, riding together so that we can go further into God's purposes with one not holding the other back. I think of that Hiking analogy, you know, in hiking, you always say that you go the speed of the slowest person, right? Well, how about we help the slowest person catch up so that we can walk this journey together? Well, that was the first breakthrough. The second one was a theological one, was the matter of my mind. And this was a bit of a tricky one. My breakthrough came halfway through a master's paper I remember it very clearly. I'd just been spending hours and hours studying passages like 1 Timothy chapter 2, 
1 Corinthians 14 and 11, Ephesians 5, all the passages in the Bible that talk about men and women together. And the one problem I had with this whole scenario was the inconsistency with which I saw women in ministry in different settings. With how some of these biblical principles were applied to women and men wherever I went. So let me give you an example. It was okay in some cases for a woman to write a book and a man to read it and learn from it. But then it wasn't okay for a woman to teach the same lesson in a church. Or it was okay for a woman to share her testimony on Friday night at the social gathering, but it's not okay for her to preach a sermon on the Sunday morning. How sometimes it was okay for a woman to lead a church in Africa when her husband had died, but not okay for her to lead a church in Australia when her husband hadn't. (laughs) Or how it was okay for a Christian woman to exercise leadership over a man in a hospital or a school or a government, but not okay when she went to church on the weekend. How it was okay for a woman to lead a small group, but not okay if her small group might grow into a church. And so it went on. There were so many inconsistencies in terms of how I saw those limitations placed on women. Some of those passages in the Bible that says, I won't allow a woman to to teach a man, or in all the churches, a woman should be silent. She should be subordinate and she mustn't teach and she mustn't lead a man. The thing about it was that at least the church I grew up with was consistent. In our church, we weren't allowed to do anything. But, you know, I saw the same kind of inconsistencies as well in the New Testament. See, I saw on the one hand the Apostle Paul saying it was okay for women to minister, but then on the other hand it wasn't. On the one hand saying that women should be silent, but when they pray and prophesy they should cover their heads. Or on the one hand a woman shouldn't lead a man, but then in the Old Testament there were women that were leading men as judges. And in the New Testament, they were apostles like Junia, and they were teachers like Priscilla, or they were prophets like the four daughters of Philip. And in fact, Paul commends every single one of those women and all the other women that were involved in the leadership roles that they took on. I clearly remember writing my paper and having this major aha moment right in the middle of it. You know, I realised that Paul wasn't speaking contradictions at all. In fact, I learned that those passages that people read and and see as limitations on women were not principles to govern all time. They were actually specific to the situations that were found in the cities of Corinth and Ephesus. And that Paul's statement in Galatians 3.28 that says there's neither slave nor free, nor Jew nor Gentile, nor male and female was the catch cry of the new creation. In fact, Paul was bringing in a radical new standard for how the power worked in the social order of the day. And that now there were not those, those limitations, those fixed limitations placed on people. And the early church became a draw card for women because all of a sudden they were allowed to learn. They were allowed to come to the synagogue. They were allowed to use their gifts. They were seen to be valuable. And in fact, when Paul's talking about those times when a woman shouldn't exercise authority over a man, as in 1 Timothy 2, and then 1 Corinthians 11 and 14, when she seemed to be silent, these were particular 
to those churches that were having trouble with women overstepping the mark in this new creation. They had all this freedom. And suddenly Paul says to them, you know what? You can't teach until you've learnt. You shouldn't be in taking over, usurping authority of the leadership because you actually haven't learnt yet. And there's no need for you to be yelling out questions in the middle of the church gathering because you're disturbing the order. Go home and ask your husbands. The plan that God had for men and women was set in creation in Genesis chapter 1 where he said that both men and women were made in the image of God and that together they would exercise dominion over the earth. Together they would represent him here on the planet. You see, our beliefs matter. They undergird our experience. And I've learned that we really need to sort out these kind of theological issues before we understand what's happening around us. Our beliefs have an immediate effect on how we treat people, on how we understand leadership, how we understand gender. Of course, not everyone's a leader, nor are they called into ministry. But God gives people as he wills. And it's not about a position or a title that someone else confers upon us. It's about the gifting of the Holy Spirit and the calling of him as he calls his people as he's destined for them. So after working through that inner journey, today there's not much difference between how I see being a female minister there were a couple of things that I thought of and I dug up a few that I thought I could share with you. The first one I thought of was ministering to men or ministering to the opposite gender. It's an interesting one, isn't it? It kind of came up when I was pastoring my church. Pastoring involves so much of disciple making, of relationship building and the, the typical way people do that today is they go out for coffee, right? They take time to catch up and talk through some of the issues. So did I take men out for coffee? The truth, the answer to that is simple. Sometimes I did and sometimes I didn't. I was savvy enough to work out who it was okay with and who it wasn't. And if it wasn't, I soon learned. And then I didn't do things like make house calls and secure her in the middle of the evening. But as I think about this issue as a pastoral issue about men ministering to women and women ministering to men, I think that both genders have these issues at heart. Both genders need to have wisdom and discernment to understand that there are personal boundaries, but also understand the admonition that's given to us in the Bible that says to treat men as brothers or at least treat women as sisters and to act like the family of God. Yeah, recognise when boundaries um, are being breached and where connections are inappropriate, we need to do that. But at the same time, we need to understand that Together we represent the family of God and the family of God looks like men being at their best and women being at their best and connecting in partnership to bring out God's kingdom in our lives. The second practical thing that I came up with was this one. For women, I think there are fewer role models around. This is a significant challenge, I think. Who do we as women look up to? Thankfully, there are women who have gone before us there's not that many, but there are. In fact, my, my mentor, Melinda, was such a significant impact in my life. She was a role model for me. Even though we're very different in our personalities, she taught me what it, what it meant to be a godly woman. But often, we don't always have those role models. And I think it's important to value the people that we do have, those trailblasters who have gone before us, so that we can look to them and sort of, you know, I want to grow up and be like them. 
So in the end, how does it feel being a woman in ministry? Well, once I worked out who I was, that God had called me for who I was, not as a plan B, not because I wasn't a man and he had to go for second best, not because he ran out of men, but he called me because he knew who I was. Once I recognised that, then the issues out there became much less by comparison. And I think the challenge for us today, for both men and women, is to go to God and say, God, let me find my identity in you. Not, let me not find out by, this, by the stereotypes, by the roles that are set, but let me say, God, who am I? Let me look at you. I'm made in your image. Let me look and see who you are and then see and understand who I am. We need to deal with the stuff inside of ourselves and then we can deal with the stuff outside of ourselves. And that's a bit of a topic for the next podcast. I hope you'll tune in in a couple of weeks. How does it feel to be a woman in ministry part two? But now I'd love to hear from you. What's been your journey, both as a, a woman who is trying to work out what her purpose in life is, or as a man who's come alongside women? How do you find this whole issue? Have you been ever led by a woman? How did it feel? How does the issue of what God is doing today amongst men and women affect you? We'd love to hear your story. You can go to the blog at episode number 13. Thanks for listening today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Have a great day and looking forward to sharing with you next time. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast by Tanya Harris. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. So post your comments on the blog page of godconversations.com or at facebook.com forward slash Tanya M. Harris. Help us to equip others to recognize God's voice by rating the series on iTunes. Remember, Jesus said we would know his voice. It was never meant to be a one-way conversation.